Welcome to Element if you are new. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. We typically have sermon notes on the communion tables. Uh, we don't have those today because typically this is one of the least attended services in the year. And it's not that we didn't care to give you announcements, but we're going to kind of flo- uh, go, go or, uh, sermon notes. We want to reflect on what we talked about this entire year. So hopefully you can write some things down that you thought about throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to come back and look at that again. Uh, but if you do uh, have a smartphone, Huh, great. <laughs> now, usually if you have a smartphone, we'll have sermon notes and verses and stuff like that to go with today, but we have nothing in there today, so it'd just be a smartphone. Although, if you have a Bible app, you can flip to some Ecclesiastes verses. Yeah, so my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 4, and it says this, But he who is joined with all the living has hope. And quite interestingly, that's how I ended my wife's mom's funeral message with that verse. Uh, Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would take us and move us to a place where we understand the words that you speak to us, that our eyes would move towards the eternal, to trusting you and the good news of your rescue of us. Father, it is true that so often we get our eyes upon ourselves, especially in this season, and with family and friends and all that stuff that kind of comes up with that. And so this morning, have us refocus to see who you are in the midst of all that our lives can be at times so that we would be able to focus upon your good news and your rescue so we see what is beyond ourselves. Amen. Have a seat. So my present for you also today is a short message. You're welcome. I'm hoping it's going to be like 20 minutes, so not 30, 35 like normal. We're gonna, I'm going to go for that. I'm hopefully not going to ramble, which I've already been doing. Okay, so uh, yeah, usually the week right after Christmas, I give uh, everybody the day off that, that I can. Uh, last year, if you were here, it was like Jason and a couple people playing right after right after uh, Christmas and things like that. But today, since I was going to be here, not knowing my wife's mother was going to die, uh, I gave everybody else the day off except for these guys and the guys in the sound booth. But it's great because they're all here. They're ready to go. They want to serve Jesus and you. It's great. And I thought the best way to kind of round out this year was to just kind of go back and look at the book of Ecclesiastes since we spent most of the year in that book and then reflect on what we can do stepping into 2020. I originally had actually planned to do Ecclesiastes in 2020 just because I like the sound of it, like 2020 vision, Ecclesiastes is going to reset us, oh, isn't that so creative, but then God has other ideas because he's God and I'm not. Next year, we're actually going to go through the second half of the book of Acts, and when I say next year, I mean next week, because that is literally next year. Uh, Proverbs 19.21 says this, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And th- this is, goes back to this kind of old Yiddish proverb that says, man plans and God laughs. And I have all of these plans. Like, I literally have teaching plans that will take us through 2023. Not written, but I have an idea of what we're going to talk about all the way through there. And every time I'm like, I'm going to do this, God's like, uh-huh, but let's throw this in there instead. I'm like, eh! Okay, whatever. I'm going to go with what you say. And this is, this is kind of think about God laughing at all of our plans. It's kind of how Solomon felt because he had all these plans in his life about what he would do, how he would find fulfillment. And in the end, it all really just fell apart. And this is why I told you that I love how Solomon ends Ecclesiastes in this deep vulnerability about his life and the things that he did, how everything in the book really showed for someone in his position as the king of the country to be so vulnerable was really unheard of in that day. Now, there is some honest debate about who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. I think it's clear, but there's other people who want to argue with that. Ecclesiastes 1.1 starts like this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, so like that's my dad, king in Jerusalem. I think it's pretty 
clear, but there are other people who say, well, that's someone using a pen name to say it was this. I think it was Solomon. Now, David is Solomon's dad. Uh, David is called a man after God's own heart, even though he made a whole lot of mistakes. It really shows that even the people who we think are in these great positions of power are also people who fail and fall just like us. And so David made some terrible choices at times. He sees a man's wife bathing. He is turned on by that, brings her over, ends up sleeping with her. She gets pregnant. And so he doesn't want to be caught out for that. So he decides to bring the girl's husband back from the army in the front lines. And he says, hey, go home and sleep with your wife. So he can say, oh, look, you made a baby. That's great. But he didn't go home and sleep with his wife because he said, all my men are are out fighting. I'm not going to do that when they can't do that. So David's like, okay, what do I do now? Sends him back to the front lines. And so the guy gets killed on the front line. David essentially gets this guy killed. This child that he he made with this woman named Bathsheba uh, eventually dies. But he will make another child with that same woman, and this child's name is Solomon. And David, on his deathbed, after a 40-year reign as king, he appoints this son, Solomon, to be king after him. And this is what David tells this son. It's in 1 Kings 2, verses 2-4. through He says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your son pays close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. David says to his son, really paraphrasing, keep your nose in the scriptures. He says, keep your heart close to God. Listen and do what God tells you to do. And I think if Solomon would have listened to that, his life would have turned out different than it did. God loved David and Solomon. He actually loved Solomon so much that at a given point, God says to Solomon, ask me for whatever you want and I will give that to you. And I, and I told you before that when we think about this, God's like, give, ask wherever you want. And you're like, okay, can I have money, power, fame, IQ? Can I be better attractive? Uh, you know, if one wish, can I wish for more wishes? Can I get more? Would that, would that be a thing I can do? Uh, if you've got to drive down to L.A. to go to LAX, God, can I have my own lane on the 405? I'd really, I'd really like that. And what Solomon does, though, in all this is he chooses wisdom. And that so pleased God that Solomon didn't ask for power or fame that God will go on to give Solomon a 40-year reign as one of the richest, wisest, and most powerful men in the history of the earth. Solomon will go on and write three books in the Bible. He will pen 1,005 Psalms, 3,000 Proverbs. And when you look at all that he did, we sometimes step back and go, well, how can I even relate to that with my life? Well, the truth is, you've got to look at his entire life. Solomon comes from a messed up family that made messed up choices. Solomon's a guy who started following God as a young person and then walked away, started doing his own thing, and it destroyed much of his life that he wanted to accomplish. See, just like us. Solomon eventually stops worshiping God from a scriptural perspective, and he does what everyone else around him tells him to do. God is whatever you want. Whatever you feel like he is, follow your heart. And so he starts to worship and offer sacrifices in unbiblical ways. He will go on and he will marry lots of women he shouldn't have, meaning more than one. And the moral of the story is little compromises will lead to these long-term consequences. Uh, many of these wi- wisdom uh, women, they, they worship foreign gods. And eventually Solomon will participate in a religion that involves child sacrifice. Uh, by the end of his life, Solomon has 700 wives. That is 699 too many. 
Okay, just letting you know that in case you were wondering about that. Um, and I, I, I tell you, most men that I know have a problem just loving one. Where's my quality time? We never go out anymore, right? Imagine 699 times over and over. Like, what, what do you do with that? He also has 300 concubines. Not, that's not farm equipment. That's a girlfriend on the side. So he's got 1,000 women. And he's just like, what do I do with all this, right? Solomon ends up in Ecclesiastes, and one writer says this. He is honest and bored and burned out at the end of a crooked life with a head full of insight and a heart full of sadness. And it's true. And so I think he sits down in his wisdom to write Ecclesiastes and in repentance to God. God, I I do want to follow you. These are all the things that I did. And I think God led him to write this book so that we could be a people who understand what it means when we follow ourselves versus what God calls us to be. And over the course of last year, if you were here, I hope you listened because it relates a lot to our lives. In the book, he repeatedly points out his own folly in an effort to get us to grow as readers. He starts and ends the book the exact same way. Ecclesiastes 1 verse Verse 2 out of the NIV will say, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. He even ends the book the exact same way. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 8 out of the English Standard Version. He says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Vanity and meaningless, they're the same word. And he begins this idea that under the sun, everything becomes meaningless when we focus upon ourselves because it's temporary. He uses that literary technique called inclusion where you begin and end a composition saying the same thing. And in this book, it's this metaphor to express the futility of life in a fallen world when we are focused simply on the fallen world. It means that life for us is impossible to grasp on our own. And before you know it, it vanishes and it's gone. It vanishes like into thin air like this meaninglessness. Uh, Psalm 39 verse 5, he says, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as mere breath. So I thought it would be really fun with you this morning is to give you a little Ecclesiastes quiz. So you didn't know there's going to be one, but there is. The test is at the end of the year. Here's your final. So I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you just a couple questions. Don't throw out the answer. I want you to raise your hand. The first person to raise their hand, I'll let you answer, and I got a prize. All right? So I got a few questions. So, so here's the first one, okay? You're like, ooh, a prize. Glad I came to church. Christmas keeps on giving. Okay, uh, so the word vanity and meaningless, it comes from this Hebrew word called havel, and it also literally means what? Oh, vapor. Yes, <laughs> vapor. You get my water bottle. See, you're like, oh no, there are prizes. Yes, there are prizes. So this is the idea that that vapor, he uses this word to help us to understand when we focus on things that are temporary, they all end up being vapor. And so we, all these things in our lives we think are so important. Like if you watch TV, how do they end every season of TV now? On a cliffhanger. And it's like, what am I going to do? It's not real. Okay, it's TV. I didn't like how they ended the Star Wars saga. It's okay. It's not real. I and mean, this is the idea that even our cars and our homes and our concert tickets and our intelligent understanding and, and learning, in the end, if we focus just on that, it's all, it's all vapor. Who holds political office? It's all vapor. Your 401k, not that it can't be a good thing, but if you spend your life just focusing on that, it's going to end up being meaningless. He says, chapter 1, verse 8, all things are wearisome more than one can say. He's trying to get us to the point where we throw our hands up in the the air and maybe in despair and say then what doesn't matter exactly 
What does the temporary matter in the end? We are called to something eternal. And he will even go on to say that the people that come after you, that outlive you, will eventually forget you. Then he will use this phrase. It's called under the sun or under the heavens. When he uses that, what is that a euphemism for? I think you were first. Life without God. Oh, sorry, the pastor answered the question right. Is that even fair? What does it say? I live my life under the sun. Does that mean I live my life without God? No. No, it means that you have a proper perspective of how you're living your life, where we are. All right, so under the sun is the totality from when we are born to when we die. Everything happens in this physical life under the sun. Everything Solomon talks about in this book is in context of the realm of the created, what we create, that which exists in time, our time, that which is temporary. And the teacher tries to create this dissonance in us between what we're created for, eternity, versus how we live under the sun. So our focus would be in the correct place. And many times, we don't learn from our mistakes or the mistakes of others, and we make our own mistakes. The teacher is trying to create that space so we'd be open to the truth we haven't grasped or seen. And so he leaves open this hanging thing. If we live under the sun, well, what's, what's then beyond the sun? Now, this question apparently is a little bit harder. I asked one of my friends this, and he goes, I don't remember that. I should have left this one for you. Anyways, so when the, now you can't answer any more questions because you're done. Okay, so when the writer wants us to see how it didn't work out under the sun, he will often use what phrase? And I'll accept two different wordings of this because the ESV says it one way and the NIV says it another way. Does anybody know what that phrase is? He will say, okay, okay. Yes. No, but, but I'll give you another thing. I'll give, oh, yes? Is it meaningless? No. He will say, Ready? Yet when I, oh, you raise your hand. Who's gonna raise your hand? Oh, surveyed. Oh, you know what? Since that was so hard, I'm gonna give you a hundred grand. <laughs> yeah. No, it's actually not. It's left over from Halloween. <laughs> Did you hear what he said? He goes, "Was that left over from the movie?" And I said, "No, it's from Halloween." So there you go. Now, okay, so when, when he says this, uh, again, in the ESV, he'll say, when I considered these things. So when the teacher says that he acquired and did all these things, and he realizes it didn't fulfill what he thought, he says, yet when I surveyed. Say, yet when I surveyed what goes on under the sun. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done. Yet when I surveyed the children of man. He keeps pushing to this place of brutal self-examination and honesty of well, what life without God is truly like for us under the sun. Which is really a great question, a question coming out of Christmas, right? Did you get what you wanted? Were you excited about something or not excited about something that happened or didn't happen? Family coming over, family not coming over, vacation, not vacation, you know, some sort of Christmas food. Many times as people grow up, all those things start to change. Like when you're a little kid, you're like, I want this particular toy. Uh, teens want a particular phone. Young adults want a relationship. Uh, married people want kids. You have kids for a while, and then you want the kids out of the house. Or so, you know. Uh, You know, uh, parents want grandkids eventually. And every step of the way, we keep wanting something different. And every step of the way, we typically start to focus not just on what's eternal, but also what's on the temporary things. And our life gets consumed by the temporary. And all those temporary things will not bring long or fulfilling happiness. We get let down. Things get hard. And so we start to wonder, God, why isn't all these things happening? So yet, 
when I surveyed all of these things. You know what? Life is not about us. It's about God's glory, and we get to partake in joy by living life with him. So Solomon comes along and establishes this fact. I got everything I thought I ever wanted. I acquired more than anybody ever had, and in the end, when I surveyed my life, it left me feeling emptier than ever. So now what he moves on and says, now I want to tell you that which exists beyond the realm that we create, that which exists beyond the sun. And when Solomon moves on to talk about that which exists beyond the sun, who does he talk about? This is church. This is an easy one. Yes. There you go. My goodness. All right. So this is left over from the movie. These are 21 wall decals you can put on your room of different Star Wars things. Uh Since you answered it, I'm like, someone's going to have Millennium Falcon on their wall. It's going to be great forever. All right. I also would have accepted Jesus as the answer too, but whatever. So when Solomon talks about God, he talks about the one who is uncreated, that which does not exist within time. God has no beginning. God has no middle. God has no end. God is not trapped in time. With God, there is substance and foundation. And so the book of Ecclesiastes was meant to be good for us to see what our foundation is meant to be. Because all of our lives, we pursue all of these temporary things. And yet God, who is eternal, has stepped into time. And he's revealed to us how we are people that get to go and live with him in the eternal. And that comes down to the idea of what we call the gospel. Jesus is going to come and rescue us. All of our lives, we spend all this time running apart from who God is. And it's meaningless. And yet we keep trying to claim that it has meaning or the meaning of this thing is going to be right around the next corner. Solomon says, stop trying to act like you know more than you actually do. Just be honest that your life is a mess and begin to trust God. It's like I said in the beginning of Ecclesiastes. We've got to understand when we can just say, look, I know I'm a hot mess. That's when God does his best work. And I think all those bits and pieces throughout the book of Ecclesiastes brings us to a place where if we understand it, we could step into 2020 with great confidence, trusting who God is and his rescue of us. And part of this understanding of who God is is what the Old Testament and the New Testament and really Ecclesiastes refer to how we understand God. And this proper understanding, it brings this healthy type of fear. There is a scary type of fear of punishment, but when it refers to properly fearing God, it's something completely different than any of that. This is, this is what the Bible says that healthy fear brings. Uh, Proverbs 28, verse 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. The King James Version will use the word happy there. So there's a fear that brings happiness, apparently. The more we have this fear, the happier our lives become. Psalm 130, verse 4. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So there's a forgiveness that breeds fear? What? So when the Bible talks about the fear of God, it's that inner state of awe, of amazement and wonder before the magnitude and the love and the power and the grace and the goodness of this God who would deem to rescue us, who would deem to step into our temporary and draw us to himself. And this is why the truth of the good news of the gospel is meant to humble us as a people because this gigantic, amazing, good God came to rescue us even though we ran away from him. This this proper fear of who God is is not the fear of being hurt. It works in exactly the opposite direction of where we fear these things are going to hurt us. What we end up doing is not wanting to do anything that would hurt God himself. We, want, we fear doing anything that would hurt who he is because he has so first loved us. To live a life of God-fearing love is to live in a constant awareness of the presence of who God is, that he is closer than we could ever dream. 
And when we understand that and live in it, Solomon tells us that that results in our lives living in joy because we're not focused anymore under the sun. We are focused on who God is and his rescue of us. He commends then joy for all of us when you properly understand who God is, knowing that God is awesome, that God is mighty, that God holds all things in his hand. And yes, sometimes we can look around the world today and sometimes the wicked prosper, but we don't have to fret because God is the one who ultimately changes hearts and lives and he will do what he is going to do. And part of our job as a people is not to put hope in temporary things under the sun. We put our hope in the eternal God so we get to enjoy God and we get to show people what that looks like because we can live lives of great confidence that aren't in fear of everything else but properly fearing who he is. When that happens, uh, this is how Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 8.15, he goes, Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When we properly understand God, we get to walk out in joy. And so Solomon says then, when you work, you work. And when it's time to play, you can have fun and play. And when it's time to sleep, you sleep. And when it's time to eat, you eat. Because if you don't understand that God is in control, you're going to spend your entire life trying to do his job, and you can never do his job because you are human. God will bring the one, is the one that's going to bring all things to their culmination. God is going to bring it to the conclusion. And which led me to this short little element catechism I gave you. That's where I ask a question and you answer, and this is how it goes. Is God at work all the time in your life on the earth? And the answer is... Is, is God at work all the time on your life on the earth? And the answer is, don't raise your hand. I'm just, everybody say it. <laughs> all the life on the earth, and the answer is? Yes. Yeah, see, I asked that again because three people answered the first time. <laughs> then, do you always know what God is doing? And the answer is, no, we don't. But we can trust him. Because he is good. Because God promised our rescue and salvation, and he brought it to fruition. Reading and studying the book is meant to begin to open our eyes to what God is doing. It was meant to show us how vain life is without him, and how the reflection that we see in the world of what it looks like and what it runs towards is always focused on the temporary and not the eternal what God calls us to. Finishing the book was meant to leave us in a different place than where we started, and I hope it did that with you. Because I think it was absolutely brilliant in exposing all of us to how God intends for us to live, not just with one another, but also with himself in a way that is vulnerable and open with each other so that we can understand as we do live our lives under the sun, we can interact with God and others in ways that always reflect back to the good news of the gospel. We're meant to become to a place of vulnerable honesty like Solomon. And we can speak to everyone around us the truth about our lives and the places that we have failed and also understand that God is the one who rescues and it's not based upon our own merits or goodness, that we are not the answer under the sun. And like Solomon Ecclesiastes, I think God wants to use all of our mistakes for his glory and our ultimate good. You have a Bible open to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Solomon pushes to get us to ask the important questions about life and fearing God and our fleeting satisfaction. But as I pointed out before, Solomon is a person who lived before Jesus came. So he asks all of these open-ended questions. And what about this? And what about that? And all of his most brilliant questions weren't even answered in his lifetime. But we are a people who get to live after Jesus came, after Jesus died and rose from the grave. And so all the questions he was asking for, we get to see. Like the questions of, does God care? What happens beyond the sun? How is God going to right all the wrongs of the world? The answer was and is Jesus. 
Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, some people think that because God took so long for Jesus to come, even after Solomon's questions, that God didn't care. That's not true. God did care. God is just patient. And God loves us in in patience as well. God has said to us in love that when you sin, you die. That's the result of sin. But we didn't listen. And we keep running towards ourselves in the temporary. We keep pushing ourselves apart from who God calls us to be. But God provides a way for us to be redeemed. When the fullness of time had come, God sent Jesus to rescue us. In response to our rebellion, in response to all of our questions and all of Solomon's questions, Jesus comes to rescue us. The reason anyone is saved by God's grace that we can never pay back. See, satisfaction will never come from getting what we think we have to have. It'll never come from that toy, that movie, that resolution for that TV show. It won't come from your relationship with somebody else. It comes from Jesus rescuing us from ourselves. And if you are wondering what the final answer to Ecclesiastes and all of Solomon's questions are, it's Jesus. Just like it is the answer to every single one of our questions as well. I know in churches, when someone asks a question, 90% of the time you throw out Jesus, you're going to be right. In this case, you would be right. Because the answer to all of our questions and all of our running is always the person of Jesus. It is God's great good news and his rescue of us. When we are in a place in our lives and something happens we don't like and we cry out, God, why? The answer to that question God will say is because I loved you and I sent my son to rescue you and I'm going to use this in your life to bring glory to myself and good to you no matter what you think in the moment where you are. Because God is good. And this is the goodness of the gospel. I mean, God promised Jesus would rescue us. And God is good for that promise. This is why we talk about communion every single week, even the one after Christmas. And you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. And you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of our great God who came as Jesus to rescue us, to take all of our sin that separated us from God and us from one another upon himself at this moment of the cross. God poured all of his wrath against sin on Jesus. There was justice. The justice was taken care of in Jesus himself. And then God then offers us mercy and grace and new life. Jesus takes our death and gives us life. He takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness. And this is what we remember at this place. And that's why we bring you to it every single week. The band's going to come up, the three of them. <laughs> and when they, as they do, I'm going to invite you to take communion. If you need prayer, there'll be some uh, deacons in the back. If you're in a place today where you just have a bunch of questions about, about God and all this stuff, I, I'm not saying that there aren't logical answers to many questions we have, but the first place we have to begin is understanding why God needed to rescue us, what state and position that we were in. The, the hope that Jesus brings to us so that we could understand our need for rescue, understand the state that we are in, and also why Jesus came to rescue and what he did to do that. So that we would just become a people who are so blown away by his goodness that we'd be so humble because we understand our own rescue that it would lead us to then live out lives not, not in like morbid sadness all the time because of what Jesus had to do, but in great joy because of what Jesus did. Not because he necessarily had to, but because he also wanted to. Because he loves us. And he wanted to rescue us. So we get to live in joy because our God loved us enough to die in our stead, to give us life, so that we can live in great hope 
And so we get to live in joy and hope and show the entire world that, that life does not have to be meaningless because life does not have to focus upon ourselves. It can focus on our great God who rescued us. Now, there are offering boxes next to every single door we give because God gave so much to us, giving is part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done. And then there's some snacks outside, and you can grab something to eat. There are not sermon notes, but you can still invite someone to go out to lunch this week with you and uh, hang out and maybe ask some questions. What do you remember about Ecclesiastes? Well, I never went, so I don't know anything. Okay, well, great. You, know, you can talk about certain things that you maybe remember throughout it. What is meaningless? What is temporary? What, when, what place do you find hope? How do you understand fearing God? And all of those questions about the truth of who God leads us into because we love him so, so much. Uh, our God is great and he is good, and I constantly say that to you. So let's be a people who live in joy, focused on the eternal of what he brings, and live out the gospel in all of our lives in ways that make sense. All right, would you guys pray with me? Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us as a people and have us be those who understand your great rescue of us, that we would understand how often we are people who seem to focus on the temporary of our lives and the circumstances that are around us and not upon the greatness of who you are. It is so easy for us to get our eyes off of the good news of your rescue of us because of what happens to us in the temporary. And so today, no matter where we are, no matter what anybody in this room is really going through at the moment, I ask that you would refocus us to understand your heart for us in ways that you bring us love and you bring us grace, and you bring us blessing, and then you intend for us then to love those around us with what we have first received from you. Quite honestly, Lord, I I think that many times the fear of our lives is so strong of different things. But in the end, I ask that you would teach us to be a people who long for you, and in longing for you and your rescue of us, that we would rise up as a people to worship you in practical, real ways every single day of our life, understanding what we are truly made for, that you have placed eternity in our hearts, and eternity isn't just for a future of the same. Our eternity is a future that is redeemed, a future that is in your hands, a future that goes on for eternity as we live and walk with you every single day, never plumbing the depths of who you are, but always living in your great grace and hope given to us. So I ask that you would teach us as we roll into a brand new year again, that our hearts would be fully drawn to who you are and that we would, as a people, rise up and worship you because you are good. Amen.